Schneller, schneller als gedacht. Abrupt climate change and the consequences for us and other living beings on our Earth. No one should be alone in the greatest challenge of our time. Part 2 of Episode 7 about weather extremes in Western Europe. Big numbers and dealing with the dire situation emotionally. I'm talking with Paul Beckwith. Thanks to Laura Upshaw for African Drum Dance on YouTube. Let's go back to the North Atlantic and where the weather patterns in Western Europe arise. Yes. I mean, so this so has enormous consequences here in Germany. We are used to have high pressures from the Azores and they bring sunny weather and Icelandic lows bring dirty weather. And what is changing now and in the future? Yes. Well, The uh, the high pressure and low pressure regions um, are um, they're they're part of the um, they, their their location depends on what the jet stream is doing. So mm -hmm. think of the, the so the jet stream wave which which circles around the you know Earth at high latitudes um, has if if it has very very um, amplified crests if you like or ridges then those are the it, the areas just underneath the wave the ridge is uh, high pressure areas and the deep troughs of the wave um, are the low pressure areas mm -hmm. so so the location of of those areas so so as the jet stream is changing physical characteristics then the highs and lows also change um the the depth of the highs the depth of the lows and the extent of the highs um is amplified and the um the waves are not the, the waves tend to get locked into position more so they be, you get persistent lows and persistent highs that last for a long period of time so in the persistent Maybe like, highs like now in germany and europe since 10 days, I think there are lots of heavy thunderstorms. And yes, floods. yes, yes. Heavy so, so the persistent lows um, are causing this exact thing. They're, they're, the persistent lows are causing this uh, increase in weather, and but not increase in rain and so on. But not only that, because for every degree warming, um, for every degree uh, temperature rise, there's about 7% more water vapor in the atmosphere. And this is because with higher temperatures, of course, there's going to be more evaporation of water from the from, from water bodies, oceans, lakes, rivers, etc. And this water vapor then starts rising up into the atmosphere and it gets cooler as you go up in the atmosphere, of course. So the water vapor condenses into, into, um, into droplets And it releases energy when it does that. And that energy is, is fueling uh, these storms. There's also large, um, this is sort of the latent heat effect. Um, there's also something called baroclinicity where there's, if you have a large temperature difference between two regions close together, then you get a large pressure difference. And then you get the high winds. And you also get um, you can get frontal boundaries that generate a lot of 
storms and weather. We're also seeing for every degree rise in temperature, of course, connected with the increase in water vapor in the atmosphere and energy, there's more storms and the lightning, we're getting more lightning. So for every degree increase in temperature, you get about 5% or so increase in in lightnings, lightning, and that's both, you know, cloud to cloud lightning and cloud to ground lightning. And we're seeing this as being a, a problem. You know, there's some days in Europe where there's over 100,000 lightning strikes across all mm-hmm. of Europe. Um, and of course, we're getting um, torrential rains. Um, we're getting there's so much water vapor in the atmosphere and it's not being carried it's being it's in the same location because the storms aren't moving as quickly Um, they're not being pulled along by the jet streams as quickly so they're hovering over some areas longer than longer than they did before and this you know this leads to the flooding that we're seeing um for example in in paris and in parts of germany Mm -hmm. this is also happening in you know many other parts of the world uh as well you know, one of the questions you said is a slower stopped Gulf Stream can bring us cold weather mm-hmm. as well. So, the yes, yes. I mean, if the Gulf Stream was to completely shut off, you know, there were scenarios where, you know, Western Europe drops in temperature several degrees. Um, but I, I think um, the, you know, the level of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere um will 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 um sort of mitigate that temperature drop like i think you know people have said that the um that that an, an, another ice age would mm. you know ice ages happened with natural cycles they they happen over long periods of time but with the present greenhouse gases being well above any level in the last um at least last million years longer um, then that would prevent us going into sort of a global cooling or an, or an ice age situation. So, you know, the Gulf stream um, on the, on, on geological timescales, it's like it stops instantly, but on human timescales, you know, it slows down, it slows down, it slows down, it would stop. And, and uh, you know, will Europe get a lot colder I I don't think it will because of the very high levels of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, especially if methane starts coming out so, from the so Arctic. Maybe we have a short break and have yes. cool and wet weather, and then it's changing to hotter and wet weather, <laughs> chaotic extremes we face. Yes, yes. So, you know, we're definitely seeing um, – you know, we're definitely seeing lots of turmoil in the system, but, you know, we have people, um, you know, we, I mean, we have to figure out, we have to do what, what we can. I mean, we can't just, um, you know, we can't just throw up our hands and say, well, you know, that's just, we can't do anything. You know, it's too late. I mean, it's going from, I think the public will definitely um, start to panic about, about what's happening. Um, with with abrupt climate change, you know, especially people that are kind of tuning it out, tuning out climate change, you know, not being worried about it, which is, you know, seems to be, you know, a large part of the public. 
um, those people, I think, will eventually be faced with, with um, you know, recognition, hey, this is a really serious problem. And a lot of them are going to go from, hey, you know, it's not a problem. Don't worry about it. Don't even acknowledge it to, ah, we're, we're done. We're finished. We can't do anything. Right? <laughs> They'll go from one extreme to the other. And then hopefully they, they meet them a region in between where okay this is what this is these are what the system is doing this is the present state what can we do we need to slash fossil fuel emissions treat it as an emergency basis do it in a decade um you know renewables can take off imagine the u.s military budget and other country military budgets for example going into uh retooling you know to slash fossil fuel emissions with mostly renewables um, to uh, figure out ways, you know, get the top engineers and scientists to figure out ways to, you know, cool the Arctic, for example, with marine cloud brightening and uh, figure out how to remove CO2 from the atmosphere, um, either direct capture or just um, huge uh, replanting programs or stimulation of phytoplankton in the oceans or whatever it be. There's lots of, you know, we need to use these advanced technologies that we have to address the problem. And, you know, get rid of all of the, the noise and the nonsense and the the misinformation that's in the public on, on mm-hmm. climate change, mostly from, you know, fossil fuel industries, um, you know, propaganda campaigns by, you know, um, large PR firms that um, have basically unlimited funds from the fossil fuel industry. We are talking about abrupt climate change, a situation where changes are exponential and coming faster than expected. Schneller als gedacht, my podcast. Recently, I've heard someone talk about uh, lots of petawatts that will be absorbed of the Arctic Sea when it's ice-free. I can't imagine numbers like quadrillion watts. Another number is gigatons of methane. Would you please help? Yes. So the um, to give you an idea um, with the the Arctic. Um, so so the uh, you know sea ice, um, fresh ice or fresh snow um, can reflect about ninety percent or higher of the incoming solar radiation. So if that is replaced by dark ocean, the ocean will only reflect about about 5 to 10 percent of that incoming solar radiation, depending on the angle that the sunlight is hitting the ocean at. If the angle is very shallow or glancing, then the, the then less is absorbed. You know, if the sun is directly overhead, then then more is absorbed. Um, so this is heating the ocean, um, and the ice, if you've got a kilogram of ice and you put so much energy into that ice to melt it, you're left with a kilogram of water, um, close to zero Celsius. And now you apply that same amount of energy that melted that ice and it heats that water up, that kilogram of water up to 80 degrees Celsius. So that gives you an idea. Astonishing. Yes, it's astonishing. So this is a latent heat effect. So all of this extra energy then will rapidly heat the water, which will then mix with on the surface. Which really, really with the water. much energy. Energy. That's uh, yes. Yeah. And uh, so, 
so these numbers um so effectively the um you know the the arctic will you can see that it's going to very very rapidly warm and that will warm the seawater which will then warm the sediments on the seafloor um which then gives the risk of the of the methane coming mm-hmm. up it also will greatly accelerate the melting of greenland which will then raise the sea levels up um and then in terms of the methane um i mentioned previously that there is about 5 gigatons of methane in the atmosphere so what does that mean um that amount of methane if you spread it out over the entire planet it gives you a concentration of something like um 1000 uh it's something like 1850 uh parts per billion so that would be 1850 methane molecules in a million molecules of um air mm-hmm. um in a billion molecules of air rather parts per billion um so um you know actually the, the that that rate so so the it's really the change that's important i mean methane levels in the atmosphere have been 400 to roughly in the range 350 to 700 parts per billion for the last million years so now we're much much higher um and the amount of uh, methane in the in the uh, permafrost in the arctic and also in the marine sediments is estimated um by mostly by you know russian scientists have done a lot of work on this and people in alaska you know it's estimated to be something like 1000 gigatons um potential so 1% of 1000 gigatons would would be uh about uh 10 gigatons which would be about double what's in the atmosphere present day so mm-hmm. these these num- to put that in perspective yes we could have you know we could go from that 1850 parts per billion you know double that number you know very quickly if that methane was released um and then that would you know cause tremendous warming of the planet so instead of getting talking about the 1 and 1/2 or 2 degree limits uh you know which are talked about in paris then the methane you know would cause you know that type of warming almost within a few years um if it came up within a few years so so those numbers are you know it's hard to put your mind around some of these numbers so you know mm-hmm. it's always good to try to put it in some sort of uh some sort of context um and uh you know it's because the models the computer models can't model too well like uh you know methane bursts or something they don't incorporate it so the so the models discount a lot of this risk so the ipcc models you know its policy is based on does not it does not consider methane being a problem it doesn't consider the methane risk and you know that's it's ridiculous that mm. that we have such a huge risk that's not considered in those numbers and this is why you know we we have to declare that this is an emergency situation you know we can't risk having the methane come up in the arctic such that it changes the entire temperature of the planet because if it does we're not going back to our stable system we're going to a much warmer planet now it all depends on how quickly things happen because if things are happening fairly slowly then we can adapt to these changes but 
um, if things are happening very quickly, then it's very difficult to adapt. Um, and, uh, you know, the biggest sort of weak spot, you know, in civilization is our, our food supply, right? So if the, you know, if we have massive drought some areas and massive flooding other areas and we lose simultaneously, you know, lots of food from various um, productive regions of the world, then we go into a global food crisis, you know, which is a very high risk from abrupt climate change as we move forward. So, so we see extremes and uh, when yes. the Arctic melting is, is increasing yes, the, the heat exponential, we see you once talked about a factor of 10 to 20. We yes, um, see extreme weather events. Yes, I mean, the, the changes that we're, the weather that we're getting now, um, like, like the Arctic, um, The, the Arctic temperatures are very high. The sea ice, the, the nature of the Arctic is changing. It's no longer a white region that reflects lots of sunlight. It's, it's, it's getting darker and darker. And, uh, it's, it's so, so it's changing the, you know, the jet streams, which are causing this extreme weather in conjunction with the increased water vapor in the atmosphere. So, It's pretty obvious, I think, you know, it's not difficult to see that as the Arctic continues to get, uh, continues to lose sea ice and continues to lose snow cover in that the, the jet streams become more and more fractured, more and more chaotic. Um, and then take it to the extreme. If there's no sea ice at all in the Arctic, then, you know, what will the jet streams look like? Like what happened, say, in the case, the state where we could where I think we're heading, where we have, you know, no snow and ice in the Arctic. I mean, what will there be a jet stream, for example? You know, basically, we're getting an equalization of temperature with latitude on the planet. So will there be a jet stream? And, you know, there, there's arguments for and against that um, there will likely be. um A, a weak jet stream because there will still be a humidity gradient. It'll mm -hmm. still be more humid at the equator, less humid in the Arctic, although the humidity is increasing and increasing in the Arctic as it gets warmer, but there'll still be less humidity there compared to the equator. And this may set up a weak jet stream. Um, it's really, you know, this is the big question, you know, where, where are we heading? There's, there's many unknowns, but there's many things that we do know. And it just seems, you know, if we're getting all of these weather extremes from the, uh, you know, from the present state of the Arctic compared to what it was, say, 10 or 20 years ago when there was a lot more sea ice and snow cover, then where is it going to go when we have a blue ocean event? Right. It's it's things are going to I think things are going to get much more chaotic. Um, so, well, the frequency of these storms will become greater and greater we'll have more and more of them and this changes the statistics right i mean no longer do we can we talk about a one in a hundred year flood or one in a thousand year flood because that assumes and sort of a, a stable climate system and then you're looking at the weather statistics within that system but if the whole climate system is changing which it is then those numbers one in a hundred or one in five hundred one in a thousand years become meaningless and we're you know we're seeing mm. one in a thousand year events you know 
two or three times in a decade, <laughs> you know, in places, right? So, you know, those numbers can't be trusted anymore. So the frequency of these events becomes greater. Uh, the severity becomes greater. You know, we're, I mean, we know how, you know, we can all go down to the Caribbean and have experienced torrential rains that we don't, that we're not used to in, you know, higher latitudes. And we're starting to see these torrential, you know, as we're warming and warming and warming, then we're seeing these torrential rain events, you know, at high latitudes. And if the storm is moving slower, we're getting this torrential rain and it's not being carried out of the region by by a fast jet stream. It's lingering and we're getting, you know, persistent rain. Um, we're getting, of course, other places, you know, the the rain that used to go over to, to many different regions tracking the jet streams, storms tracking the jet stream. Now, you know, the rain's mostly dumped in one region. That means it does, doesn't get to another region. So you can get droughts in other regions. Um, and then, of course, the, you know, that changes the, you know, vegetation on the earth. Um, the type of vegetation in a region depends on the, the climate in that region. Depends on the annual rainfall. It depends on the, um, temperature so if those things are all changing then the vegetation will will change also you know we're seeing this up in the arctic areas that were once uh shrublands um tundra um thawing with shrublands and small trees now are growing larger forests in mm -hmm. fact in the decade parts of siberia that were shrublands are now trees that are that are 10 that are three meters high sort of thing you know, in the space of less than a decade. So everything starts rearranging as the climate is changing. Um, so th this is, you know, what we're in for. This is why I say that governments around the world need to declare a global climate change emergency. And we need to go on a crash course to zero fossil fuel uh, emissions. Mm -hmm. Um, we need to, but that's not enough to, to stabilize the climate. If we want to have some semblance of stability, we also need to, I think we need to cool the Arctic to restore the patterns of, of jet streams and ocean currents. You know, we need to try to cool the, the region using solar radiation management techniques. We also need to remove CO2 from the atmosphere. Um, by carbon dioxide removal methods uh, to because the ocean acidification problem, it, which is threatening the marine food chain, um, is uh, will not be addressed as long as the CO2 levels are this high and continue to go higher in the, in the atmosphere. So this is why I talk about a three-legged bar stool approach. Leg one is zeroing fossil fuel emissions. Leg two is um, See, is is carbon is solar radiation management to cool the Arctic to keep the methane in place and stop those feedbacks from accelerating and leg three is carbon dioxide removal. We can say the, the air condition the Arctic is overheating and we are facing climate chaos and extreme weather events and nobody can stay cool by all this stuff. Would you please? Give us two or three short advices how to deal with this dire situation emotionally in the midst of climate chaos. I think people, the biggest thing that people can do, I think, to deal with this um, psychologically or emotionally is to 
Beal is to take action to mm-hmm. to start doing something. So, you know, everybody's got different skills, different knowledge, different, um, <clears throat> you know, groups of people that they, you know, work with and associate with. So I think educating people, um, educating people with the goal of having uh, having governments understand the severity of the problem to take action on it. I mean, we had, you know, I was at Paris um at the climate conference in Paris, you know, COP 21, I was at the COP 20 in Lima, Peru. There doesn't seem to be, um, there, there doesn't seem to be the, um, atmosphere of emergency there. There, it seems that, you know, a lot of the policymakers think, mm-hmm. you know, there's still lots of time when there really isn't. So I think the biggest thing that people could do is try to learn um, as much as they can about the changes that are happening so that they can explain in simple terms what's happening to friends and colleagues and politicians, local politicians, and to get this groundswell, um, sort of grassroots groundswell of knowledge uh, saying that something has to be done. And I really see this, I really saw this happening with the Bernie Sanders campaign, for example, in the U.S., um, you know, many people that supported him, you know, are very aware of the severity of the climate change problems. And he was the politician who understands them. I heard, you know, you heard, of course, you know, um, Trump would be a catastrophe for the planet um, with his denial of climate change. And Clinton, um, if she, you know, Obama um, understands a lot of the severity of the problem um but his hands were tied by Mm. the way the politics works in the u.s and i think clinton you know i'm hoping that clinton has at least the same knowledge that obama has on it and you know would would you know would would do something there um but in terms of people in europe i think they understand the the problem a lot more than than people you know say in in north america but I think we'll reach a, a tipping point sort of in human understanding of the problem and then in human behavior on 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 uh, addressing, say, this three legged bar stool metaphor. Um, and I think that could happen. Um, I think that will happen when we lose the sea ice, um, because losing the sea ice, um, you know, is a major change on, on the planet physically. And I think it will have these enormous implications to extreme weather events and things. And it will be, you know, become increasingly clear to countries around the world that doing nothing is going to be far more expensive than actually treating climate change as a very serious emergency issue and doing um, the things I've suggested in this three-legged bar stool. Okay. Right. So, I mean, I don't know. You, I mean, you you probably, you know, agree that taking, you know, when people are taking action, you know, even if they're small steps, you know, it uh, it, it takes away a feeling of sort of helplessness that you can't do anything, which is, you know, a, a terrible feeling and, you know, leads to depressions and problems and things. Right. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much for this interview and your precious time, Paul. And well, goodbye. Thank you.
schneller, schneller als gedacht. Many thanks to Paul Beckwith for his interview, to Lisa White and David Korn for their professional support, to Laura Upshaw for African Drum Dance on YouTube. I will have YouTube versions of this interview with maps and other slides and German subtitles.